You're now listening to the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here, we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we're joined with Roy Kopelman, experienced real estate developer and investor. In this episode, we discuss his real estate journey from single-family investor to multifamily investor and developer, his tax success story, as well as tax strategies for real estate developers. Before we get started, I know some of our listeners may be wondering where the Q&A episode on operating agreements is. Between the timing of the incoming questions as well as scheduling conflicts, we were unable to record the episode in time to release this week. However, we do anticipate it coming out within the next handful of weeks, which means there's still time to submit your questions about operating agreements to contact at therealestatecpa.com. Please use the subject line, operating agreement questions, and we're going to do our best to add as many of the questions we receive into that episode as possible. Last thing before we dive right in, if you haven't already joined the Tax Smart Real Estate Investor Group on Facebook, you can join by visiting www.facebook.com slash groups slash Tax Smart Investors or by searching for Tax Smart Real Estate Investors on Facebook. There are already a ton of great conversations taking place right now, and with the Biden tax law changes in the pipeline, it's going to be something you're going to want to stay up to date on. So we'll see you in that group, but for right now, we'll jump right into today's episode. Hey, Roy, thanks so much for taking the time to come on the show today. Would you be able to give our listeners a little information on your background and how you got involved with real estate investing? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, glad to be here. I've been investing in real estate in a more active way for uh, about 11 years, but the first rental I ever had was a condo I had in Chicago. And uh, for various reasons, it wasn't suiting my purposes anymore. And um it was in the, the downturn. So this is a 2008 timeframe. And um, rather than uh, sell at a loss, as uh, many of the fellow owners did in the uh, complex, I put it into service as a rental. And uh, unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, I guess I had to keep it as a rental for about eight years uh, to get back to a little bit over a break even, but for eight years, paid it down. And uh, that was my first foray into uh, the rental market. So um, having had that experience, I moved down to Charlotte, North Carolina in uh, 2011, coming out of the recession. And uh, at that time, there was a lot of good real estate investment opportunity. Uh, there still is good real estate investment opportunity in Charlotte. But at that time, there were some very good deals um, by my standards. And uh, you were able to buy kind of what uh, a lot of folks will probably refer to as a vinyl village house, uh, three bedroom, two bath in the $50,000 range, which has seemed so kind of unthinkable today, right? That, uh, you know, approximate to Charlotte, North Carolina, you know, approximate to downtown, you could buy a three bedroom, two bath house uh, for around 50,000. Uh, and it was, you know, over a decade ago now, but um, uh, I saw those opportunities when I moved to Charlotte and, uh, and I jumped on them. So, that's how I started to become much more of an active real estate investor. Um, not to kind of go on and on here, but um, initially, you know, I started pursuing those uh, three bedroom, two bath um, kind of 
track style houses. And uh, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, you know, for a while there, there were a lot of those. And then all of a sudden uh, you couldn't get an offer accepted on one of those to uh, save your life. And what I now know happened was that was institutional capital coming in and outbidding everybody. Um, so I still had some capital that I wanted to place during that time. And uh, I moved into uh, duplexes uh, and bought a couple of few duplexes and uh, still had a little bit of capital deployed. And uh, my real estate agent who I'm indebted to uh, to this day uh, suggested that uh, I buy an apartment complex. It was uh, a very dilapidated uh, uh 20 unit apartment complex, but uh, approximate to very close to uptown in Charlotte. And uh, she encouraged me that if I uh, was renovating these little houses and renovating these duplexes, that uh, surely I could find it in myself to renovate this uh, 20 unit apartment complex. Um, I am proud of that opportunity because it was a big step for me, you know, individually to pursue something uh, that at the time seemed pretty substantial. And uh, uh, we bought that for 17 and a half a door, which is just, again, uh, that's a, a crazy number by today's standards. But uh, that was a first foray into uh, apartments. And now that's pretty much the, the focus. Nice, nice. So it sounds like you kind of, you kind of, you, you dipped your toe in the water with some single family, then kind of got in some smaller duplexes, things like that, smaller multifamily, then ultimately took the leap to these larger multifamily projects and, you know, I know you're, you're involved in that pretty heavily now, um, but you also do some development. Um, how would you, you end up going from, say, renovating um, the, 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 the smaller multifamilies or the large, to the large multifamilies into development now? What, 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 was, uh, what made you take that, that, that next step there? To be honest with you, uh, it was some inspiration I took from my now partner, uh, Tom Miller, um, we, we now partner together, but uh, he was a general contractor. You know, I learned a lot uh, by observing how Tom uh, approached the business and um, just ultimately encouraged me to get my own license. And uh, I've built a couple of times for myself. Um, and I was about to take the leap to kind of build more of a business around it personally, individually. But then uh, my partner, uh, Tom reached out to me and uh, said that uh, he would like to um, kind of modify the direction of his business and tackle larger projects because he wanted to tackle larger projects. Uh, it made sense to bring in a partner. And so uh, now we're going to play a little bit more to our strengths. Um, I'm focused on finance and acquisitions and he's focused on uh, the actual building. So I built a couple of houses, uh, but primarily for myself. Um, pleased with those houses, I'm pleased with the quality that, um, I can deliver, but, uh, I know that, uh, ultimately, uh, Tom, my now partner, Mitchell and I are stronger as a team. So we're focused on a kind of, uh, uh, more of a team approach versus just simple, you know, simple standalone infill, standalone single family house infill, um, you don't really need a team for that. You could do that as an individual, you know, it's a lot of work, but you can do it as an individual, but we're now taking on, uh, I would say modestly sized townhome developments and uh, there's enough uh, work and effort to spread around. And ultimately there's enough opportunity to spread around 
such that um, such that it makes more sense to work in a partnership model. And that makes a lot of sense. So, are you going to be keeping these uh, these these bigger assets that you're developing now? Um, are you going to be keeping them as like long hold buy, long term buy and holds to keep in your portfolio with 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 your partner? Or are you going to be ultimately uh, selling these at the end? So the projects that we have in the pipeline in uh, Charleston, we have a project in North Charleston, um, which is uh, uh, about 30 townhomes uh, near the Firefly Distillery in uh, North Charleston. That project is uh, for sale, built to sell, uh, built to sell individually. We have actually already had some uh, kind of quasi institutional interest in uh, in uh, acquiring the whole thing uh, for rental, but uh, the numbers that were advanced weren't attractive enough. Uh, so, so at least initially what we're building is build to sell, uh, but uh, we're open as we think about tackling larger and larger projects, uh, what the growth looks like. Um, I for sure am interested in building uh, larger um, for rent developments. And that's something that we're, you know, kind of putting out as a strategic goal. Um, but the partnership wants to put down a couple of uh, W's, couple of wins um, with some smaller for sale projects before we tackle the larger for rent um, developments. Makes a lot of sense, you know, and while we're on the topic of development, you know, it's, it's not really a secret right now that lumber prices have, have increased uh, substantially over the last few months. Um, and how, how is that, you know, it, how's that impacting your development plans, you know, at this point, if at all? Well, so they did increase, uh, but uh, we now have a lumber ticker <laughs> that uh, we keep up on the screen. So uh, we are uh, pretty familiar with uh, where the lumber pricing is at. And uh, if you don't, pay as close attention as uh, my partners and I, uh, you might not know that it's down almost 50% off the high. So um, it's still very high from a historic perspective, but it has come way back down to earth. I think there's a couple of things that are impacting that. Um, you know, one, the supply chain is, is strengthening all the time with people returning to work. Um, and factories coming back online and things. So there's a lot of improvement around the supply chain. And two, um, we know firsthand from both uh, my partner and some couple of projects that he's got and uh, other builders in town that at least anecdotally, um, people are sitting on foundations. And that just means that the foundation is ready to go, but they're waiting for lumber prices to come back to earth in order to proceed with the, the development, the, the vertical uh, vertical construction. Um, you know, with enough people sitting and waiting, um, you know, obviously price is a function of supply and demand. Uh, if demand is down, you know, um, you know, eventually uh, price is gonna respond to that. Makes a lot of sense. So it's kind of sounds like some people because their weight, because like there's kind of two factors going on. One of them is the supply chain is, uh, is, you know, becoming, is coming back online. So there's more supply and there's some people waiting. So the demand is a little lower than maybe it was at the peak of, of the lumber prices this year. Yeah, correct. Correct. 
Nice, nice. And before we start getting to the tax side of things, um, you know, with the developments going on, do you have any, well, I guess, where, where do you see yourself going in, in the next few years in terms of your buy and hold side of things? Do you continue to do that alongside of this or is, is like the development now going to be your primary focus, you know, going over into the next you know, handful of years? I mean, with, uh, with a partnership model um, and given that my fo- focus is primarily on finance and acquisitions, uh, the way we structured our partnership is uh, I'm in a finance and acquisitions uh, role. My partner Tom is in a um, the builder capacity, and then uh, uh, our other partner Mitchell is kind of around an investor relations role. Uh, you know, I'm kind of in and out of the business uh, in a sense. You know, I'm not, my job is to fill the pipeline and and, and find um, um, finance partners finance partners uh for our opportunities um but uh you know there's gonna be some times where that's that doesn't occupy me fully so uh long story short i guess a short answer is that uh i'll be doing both of these in parallel interesting to see like over time how that changes because i i feel like a lot of our clients that get into development that were previously in like multifamily rentals that they shift more to development. Interesting. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if it's just that the profitability is better, larger. Uh, I, I got to imagine it's maybe headaches. <laughs> on an ongoing a, lot more, basis as well. a lot more headaches, I guess. It just depends on what you're willing to uh, uh, tackle those challenges. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I will say that, uh, you know, um, I, I think I have an all right size portfolio for a guy with no outside equity on the apartments. So for a guy without no outside equity on the apartments, uh, I might, I, I feel good about the size of the portfolio. Uh, but nonetheless, um, I was not fully occupied and, uh, I was getting to a point where I just felt like I was, my life was waiting for rent to come in. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Um, some of my friends and, uh, things sort of saw me as semi-retired and, uh, I really not quite ready for that, you know, um, uh, not quite ready for retirement. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be kind of a little bit more engaged than I was just focused on the apartments and there's things to do but kind of once you get the model going you know because i do a value add strategy once you get the model going um there you know there's not as much for the owner to do on a day-to-day basis so um yeah i'm kind of pleased to have a little bit more on my plate and it'd be interesting to see maybe you know uh, to your point brandon maybe uh maybe you just find that uh the challenges are engaging and, um, and it, it makes sense, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Cause you know, when you speak about the larger apartment buildings though, uh, so, uh, last year, up until last year, we had an apartment complex, me and a few partners and there was like not much to do. And I was like, ridiculously surprised, honestly, that like we had this, 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 this 82 unit apartment complex. And like, we hopped on the call with the property managers and after the first you know, month or two after we kind of got things going, there was just like, it was just not that much. There was just, there, there wasn't much to talk about. I mean, it was just like, things are going, lease people are releasing units, things are getting renovated. And 
Um, so yeah, I mean, you definitely see on the apartment side, it, 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 after, after you get set up, there's kind of a lack of engagement, which is a good thing um, for some people who want that passive income. But I guess if, you know, if, if you, if you're looking to have a business out of it, there might not that be, be that much for you to do. Um, but kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, you know, to the tax side of things, um, you have a pretty good you know, success story in terms of what you're able to do by piecing together a number of tax strategies. Um, would you be able to kind of take us a little bit through um, what you were able to achieve and how, and how you were able to do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and with, uh, you know, much gratitude uh, to, to you guys for uh, helping. I think a lot about, you know, what incentives have the, has the government kind of created for me to pursue, to try to encourage individuals and, you know, ultimately um, the incentives that the government has created in order for people to pursue uh, certain real estate investments. And, you know, some of the advantages include, of course, uh, the ability to depreciate and have that offset against your income uh, on the property. And of course, you know, somewhat recently, um, you know, you could accelerate some depreciation. So just put simply, you know, to answer the question more directly, I did a cost segregation study on uh, my most recent acquisition and that acquisition had some scale. Um, you were able to take the bonus depreciation. Um, so we could depreciate a bunch of that uh, upfront. Um, and then um, through the guidance that, um, that, uh, is that, should I call it Hall CPA or the real estate CPA in this context? We'll say Hall CPA, uh, either one I guess will work, but uh, the real estate CPA um, through the, the guidance that you guys offered, ultimately I was able to carry back um, some tax losses and uh, that proved uh, very advantageous to me. So. Um, I was uh, very, very grateful for that. And in fact, it's interesting because um, while the government does offer uh, a lot of incentives, I think, for people to pursue uh, real estate investment, apartment investing, um, this was a challenging year, very challenging year. 2020 was a very challenging year to be involved in, especially the type of uh, multifamily that I do. Um, I have historically focused on kind of more of a deep value add, um, a tenant base that I feel is kind of largely underserved because you can't make new apartments for this demographic um, on account of just the profitability. You know, you can't, you can't build this workforce housing profitably. It's, it's hard to do. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why you don't see it out there very often without taking government incentives and so forth, you know, but just, you know, building to rent to workforce housing is hard to do. So I have focused on, a, you know, kind of admittedly, maybe a little bit on the lower end of the workforce housing spectrum. And unfortunately, my tenants were uh, very heavily impacted by the pandemic, by COVID. So as it happens, while on the good side, you know, I had great news come out of um, out of my taxes because I was able to, you know, do the bonus depreciate, do the cost seg, do the bonus depreciation, carry it back, 
do the tax cut and, jo and jobs act is that why i was able to carry back yes yes do the cat tax cut and jobs act i was able to carry back but it would have been a much more challenging year uh this past year um with uh the amount of non-payment we saw and the eviction moratorium had it not been for that. So, so a very good thing. And I'm very grateful to, uh, to uh, Hall CPA for, for helping me because otherwise it would have been an awfully challenging year to be frank. Yeah, we, we've actually seen that with uh, quite a few of our clients, sort of similar situation where they, they need some sort of cash injection because their tenants are struggling to pay them. Um, and we've actually seen it more on the commercial side than on the residential side, which is kind of interesting, but yeah, they need some sort of cash injection. And so they, uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't think the first person you think of is your, your tax guy, but, uh, but it, it is a good way to, uh, to, you know, get, get an analysis done, right? Like get, yeah. get an overview, go back and look at the past couple of years, see if there's anything that you can correct now, get a refund now. And that can be your cash injection that could carry you through some of this stuff. So yeah. Yeah. It's good. Good experience there. Tom, do you have anything to add to that? No, no. I mean, you just have to thank the tax cuts and jobs act for putting bonus depreciation in place. And then the cares act for um, opening up the NLL carry back again, um, which I think is, is it serves as intention uh, to help people get through these uh, difficult times that, you know, 2020 brought us. Yeah. And, so, and to be clear, but bonus depreciation has been around for a while. Right. The tax cuts and jobs act just jumped it to hundred percent. Uh, which is being phased out now. I think it's a uh, twenty percent. It's going to phase down twenty percent per year, starting in twenty twenty three. So twenty twenty three, it'll be eighty percent. Twenty four, it'll be sixty percent. Twenty five, it'll be forty percent. So on and so forth, unless um, legislation is enacted to keep it or push off the sunset. So uh, just something to keep in mind. I know that we've got clients right now that are asking about that i think that somebody actually asked me tom that recently where it was like hey i'm, I'm going to be putting money into a limited partnership and in the past i would uh i would plan this so that you know five years from now i know that this limited partnership is going to liquidate and i'll just put money in the next limited partnership get bonus depreciation which will create a tax loss to offset the liquidation value or whatever gain comes from liquidation but five years from now uh, bonus depreciation is going to look different so what do we do? And that's been an interesting kind of conversation to start talking through with folks. So, so definitely a good time to, uh, to, to do what you did, Roy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about that. Obviously on some level, you know, I think we all know that we're faced with uh, changing tax climate. I would be a way I might say it. Um, that I don't yet know that any new tax policy has been implemented, but the, and, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong after I finish this thought though, uh, that, that maybe these things haven't been implemented, but the desire has been tel telegraphed. The desire to make changes has been clearly telegraphed. So the risk that the changes will be made is at least there. It's at least there. It has not, I mean, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, none of these, none of the, none of the tax platform that, you know, was kind of articulated during the election. And I want to steer clear of uh, politics, which I don't really feel super strongly about outside of, you know, with these guys, you get one thing and with these guys, you get something else, you know, and that's pretty much how I want to sum it up. But with this changing tax climate, you know, a, a particular 
agenda was at least articulated. Now that's been input, like the big things, you know, like the, the changes to the 1031, they just talked about what they'd like to do, but they haven't done those things yet. Right. 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 Yeah. It's all on the, all on the docket. Um, so Biden has proposed a number of tax changes, uh, in, increasing long-term capital gain rates, increasing marginal tax rates, uh, putting limitations on 1031 exchanges and stepped up basis rules. A lot of these things are going to greatly <laughs> impact landlords and, and how you go about making buy sell decisions, um, the timing of such decisions. So it'll be really interesting to see how it kind of plays out. I don't, I don't really, everybody always, I think we, we, what Tom now daily get, get asked, <laughs> what's your prediction? And we don't, we don't really have predictions. Um, but we 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 do think that everybody's going to need to sit down with your with a tax advisor at some point in 2021. Uh, once we get some clarity on these on these new potential regulations, sit down with your tax advisor in 2021 and really go through things because it's going to be it can potentially like like be a completely different way of of doing things than than what we've done in the past uh, in terms of just you know, thinking about how you sell real estate that you own or how you transfer into different assets and how you manage your portfolio tax efficiently. Uh, it's going to change. There's a lot that's going to change if these things get passed. And I'm not sure that these, I'm not sure that all the provisions are going to be passed. I mean, the, the Democrats have a slim majority, uh, which means that every Democrat essentially has veto power. So, you know, if you're, if you're a, a congressman or woman and you're like, no, my state needs the salt cap lifted, for example, uh, and I refuse to sign any proposal that does not have the salt cap lifted, well, then nothing's getting passed until that salt cap gets lifted. <laughs> so, so it'll be really interesting to see how it works, uh, just like how they kind of approach the potential infighting within their own party and and it, every party has infighting but now it's just it's just even more uh like like every like like i said every democrat congressman and woman has essentially veto power so anything that they want to see tax wise um they have a good chance of at least starting the conversations and uh and, and having some pretty pretty solid negotiating clout <laughs> yeah i mean but so far the more, I don't know, the scarier predictions don't seem to be manifesting. Just, I mean, that, that's what I'm seeing. But, you know, again, I think that everybody, and this is the importance of having the conversation, is like, hey, look, we're all going to kind of assess uh, risks differently, you know, um, and uh, based on how impactful those risks are going to be, uh, need to make our own decisions about uh, planning. And I think that's why it's more important than ever to kind of really take a holistic view, like a little if if then analysis around your around your taxes and say, well, all right, well, if this scenario were to occur, you know, how 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 bad ultimately is that for me? Right. Yeah. Uh, and then given, you know, and then given your own personal assessment of likelihoods, um, hopefully they're informed likelihoods. Um you know, you can make some, some, you know, thought out decisions around that. 
Yeah, and, and what's what's cool about that? So, so first, a lot of this stuff hasn't really been manifesting, to use your words, uh, because right, right now they're just talking about the infrastructure bill, and the the Republicans are just pushing back on any sort of tax increase. So I, I don't I don't think that we're quite at the time. We're we're not we're at we're too early in the the overall timeline uh, for the Democrats to really start like battling these tax changes out because what's going to happen is we're going to get past the infrastructure bill and then we're going to get to the budget reconciliation process. And that's where they're going to try to pass all of these um, tax changes. So that's when we're going to see a lot more news probably on a daily basis about where the negotiations are. So it'll be kind of interesting to, uh, to see how that ultimately all plays out. Uh, But to talk about my assessment of risk, just got (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> starting to sweat. <laughs> but 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 to point now to, I'm to be worried. <laughs> to, oh gosh, we're gonna get off this Roy's gonna call something like, okay, we're gonna sit down and do some tax plan. Uh no, so so to kind of echo the way I'm gonna get on the schedule. <laughs> Uh, to, to echo what Roy was saying though, where you know you you sit down with your tax advisor, tax planner. Um, I think what a lot of a lot of people don't fully realize is that once you prepare your taxes with a a firm, they have your data and they can easily export that into a pretty high powered planning tool or solution. Most most firms have these high powered planning solutions, and so to to sit down with Roy, for example, and go over here's how the proposed long-term capital gain rates change your tax situation here's how the stepped up basis rules change your tax situation to do that is all of a sudden relatively easy uh, and and we can talk about very specific numbers not just in generalities so it's always it's always hard whenever you're onboarding like a new client because you always have to talk like from a tax planning perspective you we can do our best to look at prior tax returns and then talk sort of high level theory based here's the moves you should be making but once you actually get those taxes prepared by that firm they now have that data that they can just push into the planning tool which is like another software tool and now we can have those same conversations but we can be really granular and specific about it so highly recommend that everyone do that with your tax advisor by the end of this year uh, we'll have obviously a lot more clarity at that point and probably new rules and regulations and you should sit down and i mean pay pay the three four hundred bucks that it costs to get the planning done and then the three four hundred bucks for the call um, it'll probably save you a lot of headache later later on in life yeah i, I will say that uh one of the things that i valued working with the, the, the whole team was um, just how specific you guys could get uh, about answering questions uh, that I had that was like, like uh, well, if I do this, what is that going to look like? And if I do that, what is it going to look like? To your point about um, w- the tools that you have, I can just offer firsthand experience um, that uh, that I was very pleased with that just for, for what it's worth. Thank you. Thank you. One thing I do want to say on um, uh, reg- regarding the Biden tax plans is I think it's something important to note is that so far I've not seen anything um, that's going to take away 100% bonus depreciation or accelerate the phase out or the sunset period on that. So that seems to still be intact, um, which if these uh, tax plans, uh, excuse me, if these proposed changes do come to fruition, ultimately, 
Um, I, I think that's going to be a major, uh, the, the combination of cost segregation studies and uh, the utilization of 100% bonus depreciation throughout the course that's still available um, is going to be a major planning factor uh, going forward, especially if they increase the capital gains tax rates and uh, potentially eliminate the 1031 exchange or, or, or not eliminate, excuse me, um, limit it um, severely. So, yeah, that, that 1031 exchange now, so, so the proposal is that, and the proposals are, they're always going to change through negotiations, but right now it's a $500,000 gain cap uh, or limit, I should say, $500,000 gain limit per taxpayer. So if you're married, filing joints, a million dollar gain that you can roll forward and it's per year. Uh, so if you have gain in excess of that, then the planning is going to be one of timing, meaning that if I've got a 650K gain that I want to roll forward, I can roll 500 forward. If I'm single, I can roll 500 forward. And the remaining 150, I'm going to cost seg the new property with the new basis to try to offset as much of that as possible via bonus depreciation. So there's still going to be a combination. There's still going to be a combination of strategies to deploy, but it's going to be even more important to understand the timing of deploying those different strategies. Like the cross year 1031s, that's going to be, that'll, that'll be interesting because we get a lot of uh, uh, folks that will like sell a property in December and not acquire the new one until January, February of the following year. Well, if, if you've only rolled forward a portion of your gain, you've got to recognize the, the portion didn't roll forward in the, in the prior tax year. So now we don't have the bonus depreciation to, um, from the new property that you acquired next year. We don't have the bonus depreciation to offset the prior year gain. So that'll be interesting to, to kind of see, but it's the timing of the tax strategies that will be really important. Interesting. I, one of the things that I, I think is so fascinating is that, um, yeah, for the longest time, I was doing uh, straight line depreciation. Um, and when I first discovered cost segregation, I broached the guy I was working with at the time for my tax preparation. And that um, was not something that he was uh, comfortable with. And uh, that was um, the best guidance I could ever got that I needed to find somebody new to work with. Um, do you think all the people who are um, you know, interested in the podcast, everybody knows cost seg. I just feel like, like once it's explained, um, and it, I was intimidated, frankly, the first time I heard about it, it just seemed, you know, without seeing it on paper, once I saw a cost seg report on paper, then things are in the, what is it? What's the first bucket for residential 29 and a half? Yeah. Well, it just depends on how you look at it. You're working your way backwards from the, you know, the thing with the longest schedule, 29 and a half. And then it's, 27, 27 and a half for the building. And then it goes down to, yeah, then it goes down to 15%. Uh, that's going to be the land improvements, things like the sidewalks, the, the landscaping. Um, and then, you know, you have the five-year property. Uh, that's the tangible personal property. That's things like cabinets, appliances, um, various things you find within the building. Yeah. Yeah. I just think, uh, I, I, I guess on some level, if somebody takes an interest in this, uh, this podcast, uh, that, uh, that uh, presumably they would know what cost seg is, but uh, uh, it's just a uh, very uh, powerful, very impactful, uh, fundamentally right per the IRS and, uh, and uh, just makes a lot of sense for the investor. So uh, if you, if you're out there watching this and you don't know what cost seg is, um, 
please don't be like me and early on intimidated, um, which I was admittedly, um, I just uh, wasn't, you know, just reading about it without seeing it on paper. It got, had me, uh, you know, I was curious, but not totally convinced. And then, uh, you know, I came over to Hall CPA and, um, and uh, obviously you guys uh, have helped me leverage that as a tool. Um, and uh, that's been very beneficial, very impactful. Absolutely. And uh, for anybody who doesn't know what a cost segregation study is, just kind of give you a quick breakdown. Um, basically, you have a, you buy a building in that building, you have uh, the building, the land, and then within that building, various components. Uh, typically, uh, without a cost segregation study, you're just going to you're going to break out the land, then you're just going to depreciate the building over 27 and a half years. Uh, but what the cost segregation study does is someone comes down, they, they, they take a look at the property, they do, kind of do like a survey, if you will, and they determine the value of each of the components within the building, and they assign that a value. And there's various class lives, 5, 7, 15 years. Uh, uh, traditionally, you'll see along with the 27 and a half year uh, with residential real estate, and anything under 20 years is able to be depreciated right now until 2022 uh, with 100% bonus depreciation, uh, which we generally see anywhere between 20, 30%, you know, on the residential side, just depending on the various factors, the building, where it's located, so on and so forth. Uh, so it could be a very powerful tool. Um, and, uh, you know, like, 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 excuse me, like Roy said, um, you know, if, if you're able to do it, use it, get comfortable with it, um, it could, it could, it could, it could really help you out in, in a tight spot. I think, uh, interestingly, you know, um, I, I saw it pretty clearly on the, uh, uh, apartments, but I, uh, recently acquired a short-term rental where a cost seg study made sense. And so, uh, this, uh, you might want to think broadly about its, uh, applicability, you know, um, there are instances in my mind where it makes sense. Um, you know, if you've got a, I mean, it might make sense period, you know, if you, if you could get the study done, uh, cost effectively. Um, but, uh, this particular short-term rental is a larger house and it accommodates, uh, more of a, um, family reunion style group. Uh, so it's a somewhat larger house. And uh, made a lot of sense uh, in that context to do a cost segregation segregation study, even on a single family. Yeah, we see those. We see those from time to time on single families too. Just depending on the size, and you know, of course, you have the desktop, the software studies, which are sometimes an option um, for this for the properties with a little bit of a lower uh, purchase price or a lower cost basis, if you will. Um, so you know, it definitely a powerful tool. Definitely something you want to talk to. Your advisors about if it's something you're thinking about doing, see if it makes sense for you. So I have a 30 unit townhome development that I'm partnering on in North Charleston. Um, you know, we recently closed on the, the land and uh, we hope to be going, uh, do it, finishing the, the horizontal development in the next couple of months, then, uh, you know, within four or five months going vertical. Uh, are there things that you could tell somebody who's about to tackle a project like that, that, you know, might have us thinking about, you know, tax efficiency as we proceed through the development project? Yeah. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of things uh, to kind of break it down step by step. I think the first thing to consider is the entity structuring. 
Uh, so when you're developing uh, to sell, um, you'll, you'll typically be you know, classified as what, what's called a dealer uh, by the IRS, which means that the properties you're developing are considered inventory and not a capital asset. Um, so when you have a capital asset, like a buy and hold uh, property, uh, you're able to depreciate that. And when you sell it, it's going to be taxed uh, at a capital at the capital gains rate. It's short-term capital gains, of course, if you sell in, in less than a year, long-term if you hold it for over a year and a day. Um, but with development properties that are built to sell, um, you're, it's pretty much considered ordinary income. Um, so that means it's taxed the ordinary income tax rates. And in addition, um, it could be subject to the self-employment tax, uh, depending on what you, what else you have going on in your tax situation. So really, um, you really want to start with the end in mind. If you know the complex is going to, uh, ultimately be sold, you may decide to put that into an S corporation. Um, so, uh, to, because the S corporation, when you sell it, you can, you can pay yourself a salary through the S corporation and you're only going to pay the self-employment tax on that salary and not on the excess profits or the distributions you'll get from that S corporation. Um, now that being said, it's important to begin with the end in mind, because if you plan to hold that port, if you plan to hold that asset, then the S corporation is not a good, and I just going to say this for everybody who's listening, uh, an S corporation is not a good vehicle for a rental property. We see it all the time. People put rental properties in an S corporation and get themselves tripped up. But if you're planning to flip an asset, if you're planning to develop the asset and then sell it, um, the S corporation is generally going to be the appropriate vehicle. In some situations, there might be a C corp, not many where that would always make sense, but really the S corporations was going to make the most sense. So you really want to start with that, that in mind. Um, and then kind of mo moving, moving past that, once you have that settled, um, you're going to be looking at uh, really the timing of the sale and the magnitude of, of the sale and how it's going to impact your tax situation. Because you know, if you're in a situation like Roy, where you're a real estate professional, um, you acquire other assets to buy and hold, um, you're going to be able to use the cost segregation studies to uh, generate some losses to help you offset uh, some of that income that you'll be generating as you offload uh, those properties that you developed. Uh, so, you know, kind of the first thing on the entity structure, you're, you're, you're mitigating your, your, your exposure to the self-employment tax, but then ultimately as you sell, um, you're going to want to try to uh, see how you can acquire assets and then use cost segregation studies on those assets to help you generate losses that can help ultimately offset uh, the gains that the, the, the ordinary income that's going to be generated as a result of selling those assets. That's very interesting. Um, I, in the past, I haven't really seen how it would be advantageous to have the S Corp in the um, in, in large part because I have apartments, you know, that I hold. Um, so I haven't really seen how it would be advantageous to have a, a S Corp and take a salary, and therefore I have not done it, you know, because as you're saying, as you're saying, you wouldn't guide me to do that, right? Um, not in the apartment context, um, which is long long term buy and hold asset. Uh, but I can see how in the uh, build the sale con sell context, it'd be advantageous um, because, frankly, I don't want to take all of the money out and split it with my partners. And then I, mean, I don't even know what we would do. You know, I mean, it's, uh, the point is, is that some of it's going to be retained in the business. And um, and utilize for future projects, right? Um, so I'm only going to take a you know a relatively modest salary relative to what I 
anticipate the business bringing in. So I might have to revisit this uh, S-Corp con conversation to, to see, hey, uh, given how we intend to, you know, operate this business on a go forward basis, um, you know, it might be S-Corp uh, is the way. Yeah. You know, if you're going to be developing an ongoing basis, there's some, the S corporation will probably make sense at some level, how you exactly implement that into your structure, whether it's the business that you operate totally with, with your partners or at that point, your shareholders. Um, uh, but, uh, or, or if you should do the S corp at the individual level and then invest into a partnership with your, with your partners, um, that that's ultimately the question that needs to, that, that would be looked at. Um, but pretty much, I th I'm pretty sure with those two combinations of strategies between uh, the mitigation of the uh, of the self-employment tax through the S corp, and uh, utilizing your buy and hold investments to generate losses, that that would be kind of you know, that's kind of the that's kind of the, the, usually the strategy that you would go with in that in that instance. That's interesting. That's interesting. I think uh, uh, we will not have um, by the end of the year we won't have income at all from. Um, the development because it's, you know, it's going to take us about a year to be able to bring anything to market um, because we have horizontal work, not just uh, vertical work. So it'd be interesting. So this year we'll, we'll, we can do some planning around it. And then uh, next year we'll, we'll, we'll see how well we did. For sure. For sure. And that's why when you, when you circle back to what Brandon was saying earlier on the podcast, timing becomes an issue with these, with these planning things. And I guess that's why you call it planning, right? Um, because, uh, because some of the, because some of the, the transactions will take place at different po points of the year or in different years. And it's just important to know kind of ahead of time, you know, the, if then analysis of what to do if certain things happen and when, but, uh, kind of, uh, kind of, uh, winding down here, Roy, is there anything, uh, you would want anything else you'd want to leave our listeners with, uh, before we kind of ask the final question and, and wrap it up for today? Um, I, I just think, you know, working, if you do real estate, you have got to work with somebody who knows the real estate world and the, the rules around real estate. Um, I used to think I had a good tax guy. It's funny because I sometimes, I, as you might know, I've referred a couple of people your way. Um, and, uh, I used to have a guy who I thought was a real good tax guy. And then, you know, as my real estate uh, holdings grew, uh, I didn't feel so good. Uh, I felt less and less uh, confident in his ability that yeah, I started to see that there were things that um, um, opportunities that weren't being seized and um, positions that could be taken that made more sense for where I was headed. And um, so long and short of it is you got to make sure you're working with somebody who um, if, you, if you're in real estate, you got to make sure you're working with somebody who really has the real estate emphasis. Um, this is vital, uh, makes a huge difference in terms of the ultimate outcome. And, um, uh, you know, I, it's no easy task to make that change. You know, it's a uh, doing something new or going with somebody new, at least for me, is uh, was a bit of a challenge. But uh, uh, just got to make sure that your tax, your the people offering you tax advice uh, are competent in the area that you're focused on. 
Makes a lot of sense. And I appreciate, appreciate that, Roy. And now if, if our listeners want to get in touch with you, maybe they're interested in what you have going on, or perhaps they want to invest maybe in one of your projects at some point in the future, you know, what would be the best way for them to get in contact with you? Um, my email address is rk at accord, like the car or our harmonious agreement, uh, rk at accord holdings dot net. You can reach me, uh, reach me that way. And, uh, I'd be happy to chat with anybody about, uh, the projects we have in the pipeline. We've got stuff focused in, uh, we've got two projects in the pipeline in uh, North Charleston, and uh, we expect to be bringing uh, projects online in uh, uh, Charlotte here soon. So uh, we're looking to really grow what we're doing and uh, excited about what the future holds there. I'm gonna try to hold on to the apartments, Brandon. <laughs> I'm gonna try to do both. I'll try to do both. We'll see how do it goes. Do it, do it, do it. I hope you do. Yeah. All right, Roy. Well, we, we definitely appreciate you coming on today, uh, having a great conversation um, and looking forward to putting this out there. All right. Well, hey, I uh, appreciate you guys having me on and uh, uh, thanks for everything you've done for me in the past on the, on the tax preparation and tax uh, advice front. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.